Welcome to This Is My Story, a podcast series on the real and raw journeys of many Australians. Brought to you by the Continence Foundation of Australia. We are the national peak body for bladder and bowel control health, supporting the one in four Australians who experience incontinence. Incontinence is a common condition, but in many cases it can be prevented, better managed and even cured. Seeking advice and support from a health professional is the first step. Join us each week as we bring you a different story and perspective from those who live with or have experienced incontinence. Hello and welcome to the first episode of This Is My Story. My name is Nicola Reed, and I'm your host. One of the common misconceptions about incontinence is it mainly affects older people, but my guest today is here to tell you it can happen to young people too. The title of today's podcast is Managing Incontinence as a Young Person, and I would like to introduce our first guest in this podcast series, Kristen Young. Hi, Kristen. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Kristen, you were only 16 when you first experienced incontinence. Can you tell us what happened to you on that day? Well, um, it's a memory that it's pretty vivid in my brain. Um, essentially, the whole story was I, it was actually a very significant day for me. I, I'm from Wollongong, which is uh, a city south from Sydney, for anyone who doesn't know where that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a big day for me because it was my first day of a solo trip to Sydney on my own because we have a direct train link between Sydney and Wollongong and it was really exciting for me because I'd never done the trip on my own before it was very big for a 16 year old me and I I remember vividly I wore this my favorite jumpsuit this favorite outfit I had I wanted to look good feel good on my first trip up I actually don't remember why I was going up there because it was pretty much overshadowed by the events of what happened so what I remember is at Central Station thinking, oh, maybe I've um, peeped myself. That was just the, 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 those are the words that were in my head. And I looked down and I thought, when I went to the bathroom, I'm like, okay, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. We're all good. I got on the train and I started to feel oh, a little bit more wet than I was before. A little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And I was starting to get really, really nervous because I had never really felt this feeling before. And uh, throughout the hour trip, I was starting to get more anxious and more stressed because I'm a person that has gone through anxiety pretty much my her entire life. And I just looked around this, um, this train and thinking like, do these people know? Can they tell? Does it smell? That was the big big panic mm. in my head because this has never happened to me before and I remember getting off the train and walking out of the station and looking out at the people that were back on the platform and they must have been looking at me for some random reason but in my head I was just thinking they know <laughs> and looking back that makes absolutely no sense that I had not walked past these people at all they were not in the same train as me and they were 10 meters away from me but in my head I was like they know they know what's happened and I think they threw away um that jumpsuit that day oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like this is a 
not a great memory that I want to associate. No. And yeah, um, as I was saying, I have no clue why I went to Sydney that day because it was overshadowed by what happened. Ah, uh, yeah. And yeah, obviously you felt embarrassed and um even though well, beyond embarrassed, I was mortified. Yes, Absolutely of course. Mortified. Of course. And even though people probably didn't notice that was what you were thinking. Yeah. Kristen, do you know um do you know why it happened? Uh still to this day, I I okay. So I know like the immediate causes, like the triggers, mm-hmm. but I still to this day don't actually know why this started happening. There's been a lot of areas and doctors so whether it is weight related whether it is weakness in my pelvic muscles like I've even had MRIs to check my nerves and my spinal cord to make sure it isn't related to that area and just going through all the various triggers they couldn't match it to one specific cause that could be causing the incontinence so yeah I I know my triggers, but I don't know the the root cause behind it. Okay. Well, that must be very frustrating. Yeah. So you've obviously had a lot of tests. You've had a lot of investigations. I think you said to me every test under the sun. Um, So what did you do next, Kristen? Who did you, where did you go for help? Who did you talk to? Well, the first person I talked to was my mum because I was very embarrassed. I had, as you were saying, like people tend to relate incontinence with it being a senior's problem. That's something that when you get older, you lose control of your bladder. And I had never heard in my life of someone my age having issues with controlling the bladder. So the first thing I did was confide in my mum. And eventually we went to the GP. And I think I think it was mainly um, my GP's, um, I used to call it my GP's problem. <laughs> because I, I used to look on it as like a very negative thing so um I went to the GP they didn't quite know like uh, I had this lovely woman who um because I've, I've had issues in the past with um other medical problems and she pretty much fought and advocated for me to get to see a neurologist for this other issue so I trusted confiding in her because I've slightly unrelated but I've had experience with doctors for other issues like mental health or the um, other issue that I have with my body where you get kind of like judgment which is you're not really I like in my opinion you're not supposed to get that from a medical professional they're there to help you and so um, she um, at her level she said that I can't tell from immediate tests that they could do within the um, the doctor's office they couldn't work out what it was so then we were moved on to specialists and so um the the specialist I first saw was uh she did a stress test on my bladder so I was this is actually this I've had this test twice uh they would fill up my um my bladder with water and then I I'm not quite sure the mechanics of how it worked but then I had to um release the water out of my bladder and somehow they would measure that I've got no clue how it works I just stood up and did did the business um and I've also had Botox injected into my bladder 
That was really interesting because I didn't know Botox could be used for anything other than aesthetic purposes. I actually learned that Botox could be used for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I used to joke to my friends and my mum that I now have a pretty bladder because <laughs> I've had the Botox injected. Um, unfortunately, that wasn't a solid solution. Maybe it helped for maybe about a week or so. It just made it really painful to urinate for about a week but it didn't seem to um, completely alleviate the problem. And I think that's when we were moved on to um, urologists further and further out from Wollongong and up into Sydney. And um, so that included like a um, different um, urologist, I think at uh, Westmead and I think at Randwick. In Sydney, I've, I've lost count. I've seen too many specialists. But there was always a lot of time space between because um, obviously people know that in Australia, the wait list to see specialists is really long in the public hospital. And um, that was the only coverage that I had at the time. Um, so it was just kind of a lot of me saying, well, what can I do to make this as um comfortable and is and have it less infringing on my life as possible before I can see these doctors whenever that may be so a lot of it was kind of trial and error on um, what do I wear um because I I've pretty much worn pads pretty much every day since I was 16 that's been the main solution to keep myself um sane throughout this um to make sure a lot of it was like cleanliness I'm very proud of myself that despite the situation in my bladder I've never given myself an infection because I'm very meticulous about um cleanliness in that area and I've had a lot of practice for um it's been over 10 years that I've had this and uh for young people that have these issues um, I definitely recommend like making sure that if you if you choose to wear pads um, as your solution to make to get through life with incontinence, make sure to treat your um, your um, vagina and your urethra with kindness. Make sure that um, you treat it with cleanliness and kindness because it will repay you back with no infections. <laughs> At least that's what happened in my experience. So, Kristen, what has been the most significant change since you've started to, or since you said you've been managing the condition for 10 years, what's been the most significant change for you? It hasn't been really much of a change. It's just been mm-hmm. consistent. Like, There's something I you worked, do on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked out how to get by and deal with the fact that I need to use Um, items that I originally just associated with um, period control Mm -hmm. um, and using that for more than just one reason and and a lot of it like when I worked out how I could get through the day with um, with the, the get through the day and have everything be clean and safe down there it was more working on the um psychological effects Mm. because to be honest, I think this condition has affected me more 
psych- psychologically than it has physically mm. because I can get by um, with, uh, with a lack of control of my bladder. I can get by. I can work out, as I say, sorry, I'm repeating everything I'm saying. I can work, work out how to get through the day, but the, the um, looking after your, your uh, emotions when going through the, the bad days of having incontinence is um, that's a different beast. That's a very different beast. And sometimes, um, at least in my experience, some days you kind of laugh it through like, oh, my God, I just peed my pants. And then some days it's kind of like, oh, my God, I peed my pants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very big swing. <laughs> and so um, I definitely think that taking care of your mental health as well as taking care of the physical area is yeah. very important. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you've had to develop a lot of strategies, Kristen, to manage on a daily basis pretty much, Yeah. Yeah, um, I definitely think with my issues that I've gone through with mental health, a lot of it um, has been um, fueled by my um, emotional reaction to my content because mm-hmm. um, I kind of restricted myself. Like there were certain activities that I didn't allow myself to do because if I didn't, one, have access to pads and any kind of like sanitary um provisions and two didn't have access of a way to dispose of it cleanly and um discreetly I would not let myself go to the place or the activity so um that stopped me from doing a lot of activities at the beginning as I got older I kind of got a bit um more savvy in that area like here in Sydney I can I know where all of the cleanest and most accessible bathrooms are within the CBD. And when I go somewhere, I will always make sure that I know where the bathroom is. Mm-hmm. So if there is an incident, I know exactly where to go. And I always have at least um, a full, like at least four pads on me when I go out and out in the world during the day. I need at least four because sometimes you don't know <laughs> when it's going to be a bad leakage you just don't know so um you just kind of learn and you adjust to your situation like uh, some people that my age they have incontinence they may not need as much pads on them each day or whatever um they use to um protect the area um yeah (laughs) So, Kristen, um, tell me what it was like when you first walked into the urology clinic in a major hospital, what that experience was like. It overwhelming. Um, the first thing I noticed when I walked into a urology clinic is that the, the paraphernalia and the collateral that you see on the walls and on the desks, there, at least in the hospitals that I've been to, there is nothing that caters to or validates the issues of incontinence for young people. And if someone can reach out and say that they know a hospital that has um, validating um, objects within their urology waiting room and in their urology doctor's rooms, that'd be amazing. I'd I'd fly across the country to go to those kind of doctors. That's great. Um, And it also feels a bit strange that you go into the room and 
usually I am the only person under um, at least 40 in that room, which brings up two questions, like why, why is there so many people are being validated to go to the doctors of a certain age but not below that certain age? What's happening to say to young people, especially even people like in their 30s, what's stopping people from going to these doctors? Because I know that incontinence doesn't start at 40 for people. It can start at any time. It can start in your teens. It can start in your 20s. It can start in your 30s for different reasons. So why am what's stopping people what are the barriers that are stopping other people and their own situations in their twenties and their thirties from coming to the doctors? Because, and it, it makes me, it makes me sad. It really makes me sad because I was really lucky that even though people haven't been able to find the root cause of my situation, majority, at least 80% of all the doctors I've been to have been very supportive, even though they haven't worked with a lot of young people. And I truly hope that, people within a, the younger age group can find the the right team and the right support wherever they are in the country or in the, in the world, I guess, mm. to be comfortable and have access to these um, urology clinics. Sure. Yeah. It, it, it brought, it was isolating for me mm. being the only one, but mm. it also brought that bigger question of, why am I the only one? Yeah. What do you think some of those barriers might be, Kristen? Well, I can't say for absolute sure because there's so many reasons why people experience incontinence. Um, just speaking from my experience, I think the, the stigma of, um, especially for women mm. having incontinence, especially at a young age because I, I experienced that, and I think that can sometimes be enough to make people put it aside and um, not want to reach out for help because they feel bad. I, I don't know. That's, that's just my perspective from my unique experience. But I'm sure if you ask other women around the country um, any reasons why they do not go to urology clinics, they may have a completely different answer to what I have yeah sure um and it sounds it's very frustrating for you Kristen because you don't have answers to why you suffer from incontinence um what does it feel like do you have a message for others when there are no answers for what you might be experiencing I understand that it sucks I'm not gonna <laughs> lie like I'm not gonna say like oh it's fine um I guess I'll never know it sucks it really does I I truly wish that um, I could have the magic solution to stop my bladder from leaking. But in the meantime, it's just kind of me thinking, well, what can I do right now in this situation to look after myself physically, to look after myself mentally? And now that I'm in a position, because I... I would never have spoken out about this um, to people that I didn't know, let alone like a public sphere, public sphere like this mm -hmm. when I was perhaps three or so years ago. Wouldn't have happened. Not at all. 
and I think now that um, I want to use um, my experience of the situation and what I've learned to help other people my age to regardless if it's people in their teenage years if they're in their 20s or in their 30s people that may not necessarily feel the validation from I don't know whether it's the, the medical community or the broader community at all I'm trying to shift my focus like all right maybe right now I can't I don't want to say fix I don't like that word to um, alleviate my situation but I can use what I've learned from my situation to help other people that may be new to what they're going through in their bodies to not only validate that it is okay, there isn't anything shameful. It's just something that happens with our bodies and there's various reasons and that's not something to be ashamed about, even though people in the world may be telling you that it is. It isn't. And honestly, if people in your life are telling you that you should be shamed about it, they don't deserve to be in your life yeah and that's another thing like people that are judgmental of me I don't want to be in that sphere mm. I want to be around people that even if they don't understand they're willing to understand and that's the kind of people you want to be around especially mm. when you're talking about a situation that's very new to you and if you feel vulnerable about it you want a space that's open and understanding and willing to learn if that's what's needed sure sure yeah and Kristen you decided to write down your story and then the next step was to share your story online can you tell me how that felt I was uh terrified (laughs) I think um after I wrote it and it was released out to the public I think it took about two weeks or so for me to gather up the courage to actually share it to people other than the people most closer to me. Like I've had people that I've known for absolute years that had zero clue that I was going through this because I was just very afraid in myself to say it. And I was scared of what the reception would be, but the reception which I'm very thankful for, was 100% positive. People were very proud of me. And that was very validating for me. Mm, Absolutely, absolutely. Very courageous and I'm sure quite a liberating experience as well to be able to tell that story. Yeah, and I'm glad that I've waited for the right time. Mm. It's I don't regret not being vocal about it at that point because I wasn't ready. Yeah. But now... Uh, but at the time where I made the opinion piece and it was posted, originally originally started on higher up, that opinion piece, and it was at a point where I had come to terms with my situation and um, I was within a group of people that um, were also sharing their experiences um, and I had learnt more that um that there are people my age that also go through this. It took me a really long time to find out that there are other people my age, mm. that, it, that it is actually quite common for people my age to have incontinence. I, I don't understand how it took me that long to find that out. Maybe <laughs> I said because it's not represented. <laughs> yeah, 
I spent a solid six to seven years thinking that this was like a rare thing, mm. but then suddenly it's like, no, it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> Where was that information? But you found the information, well, you found information along the way, haven't you? Um, Kristen, what advice would you give to other young people experiencing incontinence? Reach out if you're comfortable, of course. If you, if you feel comfortable to do that, reach out to your friends, your family, if you would like to. Reach out to other people that are in your situation as I said, there may not be, especially in my situation, there may not be a lot of information on the experiences of young people with incontinence and how to take care of your body while you are still developing and still understanding your body, that uh, reaching out to people, whether it is within your own social circle or within the internet uh, that have experienced these issues, you, you can get a lot of wealth of information from other people from their lived experience and I, I know it sucks as I said I'm not going to sugarcoat people's situation I'm not going to sugarcoat my situation it sucked but when you learn how to take care of yourself physically and mentally throughout this situation especially if you don't have an answer it's going to be okay you can do the things that you want to do, even if you have to tweak and make a few provisions to do the activities, there is going to be a way, I promise. Yeah. You just, yeah. Yeah. So using strategies like some of the strategies you've used, and, of course, I'm sure you would encourage people to reach out to health professionals as well to get a really good um, yeah. understanding of what's going on as well. Yeah. And, again, like if you don't feel comfortable reaching out to your family, that's okay. If you don't feel comfortable reaching out to your friends, that's okay. Like I had substantially strong friendships, but I still had that barrier of not being ready and that was fine. Hmm. Yeah, you've got to be ready, as you said. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just it may possibly make you feel worse about this situation. So I really definitely recommend going at your own pace, taking your time and learning about your own unique situation of why you have incontinence if you know um, what triggers it and what provisions can you do to make yourself the most comfortable and um, safe within your health to get by. Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, there's definitely no one silver bullet, especially in my experience. It's a lot of trial and error. Yeah. Like I, um, I discovered that a certain type of size and pads were most appropriate for me and my body I personally I um I hated wearing um like adult diapers that was something I discovered that I did it it, it may um it may be useful for some other people but for me I really hated it Not for you. I really hated it but um a lot of testing out different products on different types of um period pads I worked out which brands and which styles fit my body and fit my um, my level of leakage the most. It is a lot of trial and error, but it's it's worth it at the end when you work it out. Sure. You, it's definitely going to make um, living with your situation while you're waiting for a diagnosis or waiting for a treatment. It's going to make it a lot more easier. 
Mm, sure. And Kristen, do you use the National Public Toilet Map as part of your strategy to know where yeah. the toilets are? As you said, you know, all the ones in the CBD that are clean and um, nice, if I could think of a better word, to, um, to visit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very helpful, especially if I'm going to somewhere, to a city or a town or a state in Australia that I've never been to before. Yeah. It's very useful to get a... Um, an idea of where the closest bathrooms are. Yeah, great. And uh, just lastly, Kristen, in your piece, what I really liked was your, you ended on a very positive note and you said, what I just want to continue to do is live my life to the fullest. What's your message in that? How do you do that? Uh, well, realising that this isn't, this isn't the end of the world for me. Like I went through a lot of, I feel like I went through a bit of a mourning stage when I realised that I had incontinence. I started feeling very scared and started making like really split decisions that now I have this, I can't do this. Now I have this, I can't do that. Maybe there may be things that you may be restricted from doing in certain situations, but it's not, I promise you, it isn't the end of the world. With the right provisions and with the right care for your body, yeah, I, I don't feel like there isn't much that you can do. That's great. It sounds like yeah, it's not going to hold you back. Like you may not have the answers, but it's one foot in front of the other and continue exactly. to get life. One foot in the other. And if there's a step back, well, you learn something about yourself and your body. Fantastic. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Kristen, for sharing your story with us today. I'm sure there are many people listening who will be inspired by your positivity and your messages about the strategies that have helped you to manage. I and promise that there were times of negativity. Like of I may sound very upbeat now, but um, there'll be ups and there'll be lows and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. And you acknowledge that. You said, you know, yeah. some days it's fine, other days it's really not fine at all. And you accept that. Um, I particularly like that you encourage others to reach out and access the support that is available as well. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Tune in next time to hear Amanda's story about overactive bladder and menopause. I always went just in case is the next podcast theme. Thank you for listening to today's podcast, brought to you by the Continence Foundation of Australia. The foundation supports all Australians living with or at risk of incontinence. Remember that support is available. For more information, go to continence.org.au or call the National Continence Helpline on 1800 33 0066 to speak with a nurse continence specialist. They offer free, confidential information, advice and support. The helpline is open from 8am to 8pm, Monday to Friday, excluding national public holidays. The primary purpose of this podcast is to share personal stories and experiences. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult your medical professional or healthcare provider if you require medical advice or treatment.